0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is
1: why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit.
0: Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to another installment of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch and with me to talk about this month's donor pick is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello.
1: For (laughs) July...
0: (laughs) sorry this is inside so
1: (laughs) so we use notes right listeners and it always oh
0: my gosh how many episodes have we
1: done this always in parentheses after one of our names it says say hi to remind each other (laughs) that we're supposed to say hi but it doesn't say to say hi in the notes so I was like well I don't know am I supposed to talk oh
0: my goodness (laughs) That is, Miss Aaron I don't think hi. I am. I really don't. <laughs> well, he said hi as he's supposed to, <laughs> even though it went unscripted. So, for the future, Aaron White, just know that if I do notes, I'm going to put in say hi because apparently I can't just rely on you to do that. No, he can't trust me. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, for July, our donors battled out two high school based movies after a tie in the votes, and Mean Girls was triumphant over Clueless. So, that's what we're covering. It's been a while for both of us on this movie, so before we get into the spoilerific territory, let's talk one-word takeaways. Aaron, what's your one-word takeaway for this one?
1: Fetch, because
0: somebody it's had to so, say it.
1: That's because why. somebody said, not Gruel. I don't know that it's actually the word I would use. No, it's, you know, I think it really does though sum up my feelings about watching this. I'm convinced now, Patrick, that this was the first time I had seen the movie all the way through. And it's interesting because I'd always assumed that I'd seen this movie. I, I, I never had a doubt. I had it rated on Letterboxd, which I typically do. I give him like three stars if I think I've seen it and I liked it. But there were so many moments about this movie that I had no clue where the plot was going and had not seen before. So I, I really think that It says so much about the film and how it had become ingrained in culture that I felt this way about it because the movie is so quotable and there are specific memorable moments that I either had seen clips from or knew about from conversations. And so it was kind of a surreal experience for me to know the pieces that I knew, but really not the whole thing scene by scene. And so now I have context, which is always a great thing, and I appreciate that. And like for example, who knew that the We Wear Pink on Wednesdays thing was like a single quick simple line in the middle of a string of different things and it and it's never mentioned again, Patrick. It's at the beginning of the movie and then it's done. I thought that that was like this whole movie. I thought the whole movie was based around this idea of oh, we wear pink on Wednesdays. The way that culture has latched onto it, right? And the way that culture has latched onto the word fetch for a time period and other things in this film, you wouldn't think the movie would be this forgettable and bland by the way that people quote it. But it
0: was sort of just an okay experience for me. Yeah, I had not seen it in a couple of years, but I have more vivid memories of it in terms of actually seeing it all the way through and those lines and those moments definitely stand out to me. I really thought that this time around, I felt like it was embellished in some ways. And that was my one word takeaway, but I put kind of a question mark behind that because the world that we're living in right now, Aaron and the amount of sensitivity to things like bullying and racism and essentially being in a culture that I won't say is overly sensitive but is more hyper aware of the things that are wrong with the way we treat each other allows this movie to not feel as embellished The compared to the first time I watched this. Like in 2004 when it came out, it really felt like a stereotype, like an overindulgence of – What high school life was like, how you had the clicks, how you have all these different things. And then at the epicenter of it, you have these plastics. You have these three individuals that are supposedly the Mean Girls, which we'll talk a little bit more about as we get into the spoilery area of the podcast. But I was surprised at going through the movie. Laughing at first and then feeling a little bit awkward at the things I was laughing at and saying, whoa, maybe I'm not supposed to be laughing at this. Maybe it's not really that funny. Yeah. And it's kind of sobering. So maybe that's my one word takeaway. I get to pick and choose a kiss because it's our podcast and whatever, but it's between embellished and sobering and it's leaning more towards sobering. But I think that it's hard for me to go back and say, would I watch this movie for enjoyment again? Honestly, I don't know that I would because I think it hits a lot of things maybe too much on the nose beyond enjoying it for entertainment. I mean, there are those movies out there that are satirical, that are making a point that feel like you can enjoy the ride equally as much as you can enjoy the message. This feels a little too on the nose for my sake, especially when we're living in that world where bullying is something that's more apparent. And mean girls is a not even just a stigma, but it is an idea that anybody can be a mean girl, just like and as you experienced, anyone can be a duff. it doesn't have to be a designated ugly fat friend they don't have to be ugly or fat that there's this idea behind that word or that phrase that I think becomes very dangerous and it really articulates a lot of things behind it so embellished I think is what I start out with but awkward uncomfortable I mean these are words that we're kind of living there with it and with that we're going to officially get spoilery if you haven't seen this one or if you haven't listened to the show if this is the first time you're listening wow what a interesting way to start becoming a listener with this episode but know that we are a fully formed spoilerific podcast we talk details about everything because it helps the conversation just be a lot more fun and a lot Less restrictive. So with that, you've been warned. Here we go. Well, as we've talked about on the show, and we've even promoted it, I and you to an extent, and Aaron 2.0, part of the Feel and Film family, all love movies that take place in high school for a number of reasons. And in typical form, this is a pretty good high school movie. It's got all the bells and whistles that we're used to but it starts with this girl named caddy not katie caddy it's katie i keep see. that's the thing is I, I thought you were making her. a
1: joke about the fact that nobody knew how to pronounce
0: her name it's well, definitely katie then it's, yeah then there's a <laughs> there why is. would anyone
1: call her caddy it doesn't have two d's but it
0: you know, whatever it, i don't know anyway <laughs> katie <laughs> is the new girl in school and in other high school based movies She could have been from anywhere else, another town, maybe another grade, a different kind of school. But this movie sets us up with a girl from Africa who's been homeschooled all her life. And I will personally say that I love the way that the movie digs into those stereotypes early on. She's like, no, I was homeschooled, but I didn't come from kind of a weird religious cult. And they cut to those guys like saying – and on the third day, God made the Remington shotgun and blah, 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 blah. I thought that was pretty funny. But then she goes on to talk about her parents are zoologists and that she's been living in Africa and it's been cool. But now she's come back to high school for the first time to be a part of this Western high school experience. And for me, I thought that was really interesting because that's not something we see. We definitely see the new girl aspect of it, but it's an interesting angle to have someone who comes from a place where she doesn't understand Western culture and Western high school, something that as an audience you and I get because we did it. We lived American high school, sometimes together, sometimes not, depending on what grade you were in. And we all kind of understand some of those things. So I think the movie's doing something pretty provocative here where Asking us to kind of say, "All right, what would it be like if someone didn't understand a bit about this kind of high school culture?" So I wondered how the how does this make the story we see different from others regarding that perspective versus someone from another town or even another school.
1: Well, wildly different is how it makes it, uh, and pun intended, I guess. Wild, but (laughs) it's fascinating, and I think it is very interesting for a setup. And I actually found myself sort of wanting more to dive into what it is about being from somewhere else and being from a different land, a different culture that had nothing to do with high school in America that really impacted Katie along the way. I feel like it's sort of used as a really good hook and setup for the story And then it's not necessarily developed throughout as much, but I think that, you know, comparing it to all the different high school movies where somebody, like you said, the new girl comes from another high school or the new boy and they're always, there's, you know, doesn't really matter. It could be the star from the football team that transferred in and how do they adapt after going from being the alpha to no longer the alpha in the new school or it could go you know the other way around the dork or something from one school who then comes to another school and adapts or becomes the star and so it's usually about flipping roles generally speaking and this is less about that because katie doesn't really have that role going in right she doesn't have a baseline um, and so it does allow for i think a lot of extra humor because she doesn't have anything doesn't have any idea what's happening you know we see it early on that first day in class when she is like I'm gonna go to the bathroom and this teacher's like no you're not and she's like okay fine can I have the pass and they're like sit down and she doesn't understand something simple and what it did for me is it helped me you know approach the story from a different perspective. Like this is a person who just doesn't have the most basic of context. But what happens is we all presume and we all treat each other like everyone else around us has the same knowledge as us or the same understanding or the same background. And maybe we shouldn't be doing that. You know what I mean? Um, I think there's a line early on when Katie is being introduced. She says, this is the first time I've ever been somewhere in my life where the adults didn't trust me. And I was like, wow, okay, that's actually pretty strong. Because it's very true. Um, You know, I have some homeschooled friends. And there's a lot of arguments always back and forth, not me with my friends. But in general, there's circles of arguing about what's better. You know, is the socialization you get from homeschooling important? Or not? You know, can you replicate that somewhere else? And I think, that this shows some of the strengths and a lot of the weaknesses of that social aspect, right? And it digs into that. And I think that it's just, it's really interesting to, to think about not just her coming from a different culture, not having any idea, but the homeschool aspect in particular, because there are a ton of kids in America who can relate to the idea of being homeschooled. And I cannot imagine walking in like this without any idea. And since she doesn't have movies to rely on to kind of give her her own, she just has literally nothing to form it off of, right? She just has to walk in expecting everybody to be exactly like her. And the shock to your system, I think would be pretty overwhelming. And so it's not surprising that it's hard to adjust.
0: But even with her, which I agree with everything you're saying, and I think that it adds a level of fun naivety to who she is because she really is a clean slate when it comes in here one of the best scenes i think in the entire movie is when she's been given the lay of the land in the cafeteria and you have all these clicks that we may not have experienced in our own high school but we got a taste of some of those things like in at central there were the drama geeks there were the band nerds there were the stoners there were the athletes people that encompassed a multitude of a culture with a high school of, you know, 1800 people. So it made a lot of sense to kind of gravitate towards a certain group for her. She knows only what she's experienced in Africa. And it's really interesting because she's walking around early in the movie and she's trying to connect with some of these different groups before she kind of finds out who they all are. And there's a moment Aaron, where she runs into the table of black people, and she says, Jumbo, because all she knows about black people is what she knows from Africa. Yeah, that was awkward. And, <laughs> and it, it actually was. Yeah, it absolutely was awkward. But For awkward her. For,
1: like, thinking about it for her, yeah.
0: Yeah, for effect. It's not like she's being stereotypical or she's trying to play some kind of prejudice or impose some kind of stereotype. That's just all she knows. But her naivety is also played for laughs when she sits down with the plastics i think it's after she's been ridiculed or being harassed by that high school boy about buttering her muffin and she's i think karen is asking her about where she's from she says i'm from africa she goes wait you're from africa why are you white and then gretchen i think this is my favorite line in the entire movie gretchen says karen you can't ask somebody why they're white and In 2004, that's hilarious. Today, kind of truthful in a different way. Mm -hmm. But it really does amplify the fact that even in high school, you have these people that know a lot about each other, but there's still a world outside of high school that they have no idea about. And I think the movie balances that really well where these guys are getting to know Katie and really imprinting on her more so than she's imprinting on them. But they're all learning from her. They think that she's really cool because she's got this kind of mysterious past of being from another country entirely. And I think it adds a layer of not only humor, but a a layer of drama to an extent. I mean, it's not like really, really in-depth. But I think if she had been completely naive where she just kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever, which she does that for the most part, I like the fact that she has a strength. That she is good at math. Great line. She says, Yeah, I have, you know, I'm taking 12th grade calculus. Why? Because I love math. Ooh, that's weird. Why do you like math? Because it's the same in every country. And the guy, and he goes, That's beautiful. <laughs> because she, she's right. It is. It's a cool thing. It's cool to be able to have this universal language. So, what I think the film does really well is it balances this idea of even among differences, there can be similarities, that can be common ground. And I like that sandbox that it's playing in. So because she's from Africa, this movie also plays with this comparison between high school cliques and the wild tribalism that exists elsewhere. Two scenes that stand out, well, three, uh, one is my connecting point, spoiler, but two that stand out is this imagining of her seeing this group of high school kids first at the mall around this Mm -hmm. fountain Imagining them like a group of wild animals around a watering hole attacking one another. And then the same thing in the cafeteria when she's mad at Regina for embarrassing her in front of this boy that she likes. Obviously, there's some intent to that. It's a great kind of parallel. And it makes me wonder, is that an accurate description? Maybe not literally, but do you think that that's pretty accurate as a depiction of high school life in terms of kind of what you're getting from from that kind of fantasy
1: yeah i mean it definitely is and it was cute and again i think it's smart writing i won't say that i personally loved it or that it i felt like it could have gone much deeper on that but it is definitely witty at least on the surface to make those connections i mean they're right they're smart yes it is accurate it is a great idea to compare high school to the animal kingdom and the wildness of the savannah and the jungle and how animals are fighting for their turf and trying to protect their own, et cetera. But it, again, I think it is very basic. And I mean, it, it you can look at that connection and be like, oh, yes, all these animals are around a watering hole. Animals aren't gossiping, Patrick. Well, they are if you're watching The Lion King. But other than that, they're not really gossiping. You know what I mean? So it's a cute image to make a comparison, but I don't think it goes much deeper than that. And if it does, they just didn't explore that because it's a high school comedy. And it's not meant to be that. It's meant to just poke at you and make you laugh and, and move along for the most part and give you a little bit to think about. And I think it does that effectively. Um I, I really, you know, the depiction of high school is high school. And at least it's high school when I grew up and I'm assuming it's high school now. It was high school in the 2000s apparently. It was high school when we were in high school in the 90s. There will always be clicks and what those clicks, what those groups are based upon, what brings people together to form groups may change. It may be coding. It may be, we all like watching YouTube or TikTok videos at lunch together. That certainly wasn't something that happened when I was in school and you were in school in the 90s, but the band kids probably sat together. A lot of them did. There are kids who were really into classical literature and English. Because they had a shared interest, they became friends. And so when you're in this big place and everyone else, everyone's an individual you're obviously going to make connections with people that have the same interests. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that because guess what? That's what we do all throughout our lives. It doesn't mean you need to treat people like crap. And that's where the high school environment becomes really problematic at times because it can be so toxic. And it's really just, it's really hard to police that. It's really hard to, break through that and so that's where i think that that
0: tribalism comes in
1: where go go ahead
0: no i was just gonna say i i think you're right tribalism in and of itself i don't think is a bad thing tribalism i think invites the sense of protection i have this in common with these people they accept me and in a way i kind of have my gang and what's interesting aaron is that even in the 90s, and I imagine if I talked to my dad, who was in high school in the 60s, he would say the same thing. That common ground wasn't questioned within the groups. It may not have been accepted between the groups, but it wasn't questioned. So if you had band geeks hanging out at lunch, they weren't getting made fun of by the jocks, or by the stoners, or the cheerleaders, whatever the the group is that you want to call out they weren't necessarily endorsed either so you you do have these pockets of people with common interests and i think there's a sense of survival that comes from that where you feel not only accepted but you feel protected too when i go to school i'm immediately going to gravitate towards certain people going to gravitate towards the seniors or towards the football team or to the tiktok group or whatever the grouping themselves don't change even though the source of that group does. And I think there's something really universal about the fact that because it doesn't change, it's important to the people in high school. And that's probably why it's so apparent in high school as opposed to college or even after that. Yes. Cliques exist in churches. Cliques exist in the office but not so much to the extent of that they do in high school. And I think partly is because it's almost like there's this ecosystem within an ecosystem. So you have the world of being a teenager, high school in and of itself is an ecosystem. And so you kind of have to put yourself in a position in a group in order to feel like you're part of something or else you're just kind of floating. Cause that's what, I mean, that's what I did. I didn't float. I said, okay, what's my interest? It's drama. I'm going to be with the drama geeks and I'm fine with that. And I always knew where I was going to hang out. I always knew where I was going to have lunch. That spot never changed. Even at that spot, I always sat in the same place. That's how ritualistic it got is you get to a place where you are just so used to sitting in the same spot. My wife and I at our church, it doesn't matter if there's 15 empty seats around us or two empty seats around us. We always go to the same spot because there's comfort level. There's a comfortability. And when it comes to this sense of clicks, these groups that you gravitate towards, there's a sense of protection of normalcy, of routine that really makes you feel more comfortable as as a person.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that I experienced the opposite of that. And so it's fun to kind of see, your perspective, which I obviously I know, but listeners don't. So I knew how you went through high school. You know how I went through high school. Listeners, I actually attended three different high schools in four years. So it was a much different experience for me. I was kind of always without the group, Patrick. I mean, I was involved in activities at each of my schools at various times. And I had singular friends here and there, you know, like you or whatever. But when we're in high school, you don't have all these classes together. And so I didn't have the group where I could always find somebody that was connected to me. And I did float a lot more. And it was tough because I didn't feel protected. I did, it was about survival. Like I didn't have that group that I would always be able to gravitate towards. And it caused me some trouble. Like it eventually I ended up falling into my group and the group that I chose in high school was a, in my final year was a terrible group and it led to some really bad decision making. And that is exactly why that occurred, right? Is because for whatever reason, I finally found this section of people that I felt safe with and comfortable with. And so in keeping with them, decisions got made. Maybe we were mean girls, you know, maybe we were, you know, the problem kids, whatever the fact was, but we made poor decisions and it could have been the opposite, right? Depending on the group that I chose. And I and I had options. I had options. I chose poorly <laughs> as we would say in the last crusade. But uh yeah, I mean it, that is absolutely true. It is absolutely about trying to get through that period in life. And I think that's what it has to do with because you go from elementary school as you're coming up right and high school is almost everywhere and it's not this way across the board in every single situation but most places you're going from small groups into bigger groups where you're starting to like in high school mingle with people that you did not go to school with only those people and so you're having to learn that and you're learning this at a pivotal time in human development right like as a person you're going through puberty, you're starting to, you know, branch out and have the ability, your parents are allowing you a little more freedom, you're developing the, you know, actual things that you like and don't like and not just doing the things that people told you to do when you were a kid. You're getting to make choices, try new things. And so in going through that, this is a tumultuous, tumultuous time. And so you take all of those factors together. And yeah, it's gonna be Chaotic. And you're going to have these groups that form of people that don't treat other people well. And I think that, you know, it does carry over into college at times, but you're right as we age up. And I think to an extent, to be honest, going through that process and that experience in high school changes people, people grow, and most people will become better and different. I'm not saying it's good to be toxic to people and it's good to be a mean girl and treat people like crap. But sometimes people will be able to grow through that. It shouldn't happen. But because it does, there's also a period of change that occurs when you get out. Right. And it's just it's it's a crazy, crazy time of life. And I think that this movie does one of the best jobs of capturing that. I will give it that because that's the main focus of this one. Instead of A lot of high school films, and we watch a lot of high school films, because you and I really like this genre, or this subgenre, whatever you want to call it. But we watch a lot, and a lot of times this is like a subplot, right? There's this kind of thing that happens off in the corner just to to remind you that it happens in high school, but this one hyper-focuses on it, and you know it really puts it in your face.
0: I was having a conversation with somebody, or I was watching something on television, I don't remember what it was, but... I remember somebody saying that when they see people later on in life, after knowing them in high school, I think it was a teacher talking about students and how they've changed. They indicated that it's probably not a good thing to look at a person's high school personality and project their future based off of that. It's rarely ever the same for better or for worse High school is like this bubble that I think is a bubble of experimentation and it's very much short-lived. It's three years, four years, whatever education you have. And then you move on and whether by nature or by nurture, things change. You're not the top dog anymore. You were great in high school, but now you're just sort of good in college. Uh, I just finished Friday Night Lights, the book, and Bissinger, the author, talks about the fact that these guys who were superstars for the Permian Panthers in 88, they went on, a couple of them went on to play football, and for whatever reason, they just didn't like college football. One went to, I think, Harvard, and it just didn't capture the magic of life under Friday Night Lights for him. Another one, Mike Winchell, actually, he talks about the fact that he went I think he played for Baylor for a year and he thought he was really good. He had a really fantastic senior season, but he kind of realized that, wow, maybe at a different level, I'm just a good football player. Whereas in this small town, I'm a star. And that, that's what I'm remembering is where I heard that, where I was reading that Bissinger said, yeah, seeing these guys in high school and talking to them 25 years later reminds me that high school is not the indicator of what's going to be the case. And that's so true, Aaron. If I look back on high school for myself, I think about the fact that I hated reading, I loved drama, and I was an awkward teenager. The only comfort level I actually got outside of school was hanging out with you and Ben and Garen, having this group of friends Called the Tap Brotherhood. No, no, I was yeah, so I was sitting here just hoping you weren't gonna go there. I did you can tweet me or something if you wanna find no, out more. Oh don't. Anyway. <laughs> but we had that bond and that was enough for me. And that was connected by church. But even in that, we had our group and we did the mission trips together, we did the ski trips together. So there's there's a sense of connection. But moving on, I was thinking about this the other day. You and I are the only two that I mean, I talked to you obviously every week, every day, but I don't talk to Garen that much, if at all. I haven't actually talked to him in several years. I talk to Ben occasionally. I don't talk to Matt at all. I see them every once in a while because you know Matt and his wife Rachel are around town. They live close by, but we don't run in those circles. We're not in that same church environment. We're not in high school anymore. We don't have those things that connect us, and that's Okay. And I think that separation, that moving on, that going to college or going to the Navy or making the choices that we did led to other choices that led to other choices. And it's led us here to the lives that we have, to Ben being a radiologist in Northwest Arkansas and you and I being podcasters across the country from each other. And that doesn't define us by any means, but it definitely shows that if we look back at high school, would you and I have ever thought, you know what? we're going to get together one day and we're going to start a podcast and we're going to love movies and Aaron's going to be a film critic and he's going to start a games podcast and he's going to do this and that. No. Why? Because the future is not written and high school shouldn't be an indication of what life is like, which I think a lot of the high school movies really sort of play on because you realize that it really is superficial to an extent. It's hard to get genuine friendships in high school because everything is surrounded by the clicks and this need to be accepted. Let me ask you something, okay? This just got triggered when you said that.
1: So we watch all these high school movies and they all do this. They they all focus on this and kind of want to hammer home the fact that high school is not the end all and be all and it's not that important. But these movies are written for adults. We've already gone through high school. We're not going back through high school, Patrick. So what's the point? Like Nostalgia. <laughs> it, it, looking, but looking back on it and realizing that it's not that big of a deal does absolutely nothing for changing the situation for those going through high school to realize that it's not that big of a deal. So it's interesting to me that that's what has become sort of the, the genre. Like at what point, and, and maybe it's not the job of movies, I mean, I'm... Just kind of hypothesis, but w- at what point do we try to get that information to people who are in junior high school going into high school? Like, I, you know, that's the target audience. That should be the target
0: audience. Maybe. I don't know if it's a target audience, maybe from an educational point of view, but definitely not from an entertainment point of view. Because if I'm a junior high kid and you're showing me this, I'm not going to high school at all. Not at all. Because if high school is the place where you're trying not to feel awkward junior high is a place where you're just reinforcing the fact that you are awkward because you're in this place where you don't have an identity. And when you get into high school, you're sort of forced to apply for an identity somewhere, either by being in the band or being in drama or whatever. And I think the appeal of the high school movie that caters to adults, I joke when I say it's nostalgic, but it kind of is because it reminds us of the, wow, I can't believe I took that seriously. I can't believe this was something that I thought was important. I think that's the point of a lot of your high school movies, especially those that are comedic in nature. Now, things like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think use high school as a means to drive home the need for friendship, but they wrap it up in this idea of friendship is valuable and we can find purpose from being around people. It's the same idea. It's just painted with a more sincere brush. Whereas something like Mean Girls or even Clueless on a lighter scale are those movies where you recognize that there are cliques and some of them have more social power than others. But I think you're right. I mean, if we're going to inform junior high kids, I don't think it's through high school movies, because high school movies are really painting a brush of, at least in the comedic sense, this is probably the worst part of the high school experience, and it's the one that we can highlight, because we all experience that to an extent. Yeah, no,
1: I agree. I agree. It's not movies. My, I guess what I th- think we should be doing is utilizing this nostalgic realization that we have when we watch these movies as parents to prepare our kids as best as we possibly can. And, and maybe some do, maybe many do. And then it doesn't really matter because it's nature just like the wild and it's going to happen and people are going to fall into this tribalization whether they individuals try to repel it or not.
0: Yeah. And And that's what happens here. And I wonder if popularity is what drives that because I think that's what makes popularity and acceptance. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Those two things, you don't have to have one to have the other acceptance, I think more so than popularity, but I think popularity is driven by acceptance. And we saw that with the different groups in the cafeteria. I I love that there's actually a differentiation between the two types of Asians in there, just as a, again, not making fun of Asians, but the fact that the movie chose to say, you know what, nobody's off limits. You know, it's not just the white people who do these things, the but the the people who eat away their their feelings or something like that without calling them the fat kids or whatever. But the fact that there's a differentiation within a culture that we don't really understand. And of course, that comes back in a sense later on where you have these two Asian girls fighting over a gym teacher, which is really awkward, by the way, and borderline inappropriate. It's just, again, more of the movie. I'm like, I just don't know if I could sit here and watch this uh another time because it's just either too close to home or i'm like wow you're pushing the boundary a little
1: bit if it wasn't for the very end of the movie the stinger where they make it known that he got caught and had to go to jail or whatever like the gym teacher got caught and it was mm-hmm. not okay i would have had a real serious problem with that joke yeah being in there because it was treated like oh oh it was lightly but I think because of that comment at the end, it actually made it like it, it was solidified. as more OK for me, like because it is it, it is it's a it's an awkwardly funny thing, you know, in the moment. But it is also a real problem. And if they had not acknowledged that, I would have had more issue.
0: Yeah. In the Weinstein era and the era of child trafficking, this is not OK without something like that at the end to really say, yeah, we agree. This is not okay. And it's interesting to see that because they use that to push Katie's confession. You know, she hadn't confessed at that point, and it wasn't until her teacher was being accused of pushing drugs because of the gym teacher being caught that she got to a place where she said, I'm sorry, Aaron you're, you're going to hate me forever. And then she makes the confession. I thought that was a really, really great moment, Aaron, that it you knew it was sort of coming because if, if we had left with Katie just holding that all in, that wouldn't have been satisfying at all. And it started the ball rolling for her redemption, for her redemptive arc of saying, yeah, I'm ready for you to get back. And of course, I think the strength of the movie is in some of its writing and keeping things light because it knows it's a comedy, but it knows when to touch on elements of real sincerity. Even the conversation with Katie, and, is it Mrs. Nobles, I think is her name? I can't remember her name specifically, but it's, um, yeah, it's it's the math teacher. And she turns in her quiz, and there's tension there, and she goes, okay, well, I'll grade it now. And she confesses to her, I'm sorry, but all of it's kind of played in this kind of awkward half-laugh kind of conversation. And then she says, okay, well, you're going to owe me, and it's obviously going to be part of the math cool. But then Aaron comes behind her, and he sees her grade, and he goes, welcome back, nerd. And to me, I think that moment is kind of his way of saying, okay, I forgive you. Like, we're cool. Not like we're cool, yeah. but it's little things like that because to me that makes sense. In high school, that's what happens. You don't get people – embracing in big emotional hugs you get the slap across the head and say welcome back nerd you know that kind of thing which now, is also
1: so- why it's a little random because you also don't get people confessing to things like this in big gigantic rooms full of everyone like that's pretty unrealistic i think for katie to address the school in a way you know that that's just
0: not how problems are solved well, her confession was in a classroom. I think it was, and it was under that kind of pressure. I don't think. Well, that's what I mean, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little more. That's
1: a little bit more fantastical. Yeah. But you're right. I do agree, and I like the. I love that line. The, the way of showing that he's forgiven her being a fun little jest.
0: It's kids on the playground. Is what yeah. it is. But I also think it's him endorsing her nerdiness as being something good, like his frustration with her of embracing the whole regina george clone type thing was frustrating for him so to see her confess i think that showed him that she can be vulnerable that she recognizes where she was wrong and by calling her a nerd i think it was really endearing because in any other context it would have been considered rude or name calling in this case no it's like welcome back to being real welcome back to not acting stupid and failing math because you want to impress a boy so i thought that was really great it's these pockets of of real like genuineness and sincerity that i think as much as the movie makes me feel awkward these days i gotta give it props for being able to balance that kind of uh humor and little bits of drama here and there One other thing before we get into our connecting point, unless there's anything you want to bring up, is I want to talk about the title. Mean Girls on the Surface is definitely about the plastics, Regina, Gretchen, and Karen. But Janice and, to an extent, Damien are using, they end up using Katie to try to get info, to try to infiltrate the plastics and really kind of ruin Regina's life. And there was a point, Aaron, where I was getting to and I was thinking, well, who, who are really the mean girls here? And then I started thinking about the assembly and everybody closing their eyes and being asked, Who's been insulted by another girl here? And they all raise their hands. And who's been insult who has insulted another girl here at least once? They all raise their hand. Obviously, there's a play on words here that mean girls, it's really about everybody right it's it's not just about these three individuals that tout their popularity that tout their beauty and their power and their social status in different ways because of the fact that each one of these cliques each one of these individual girls are tied to a group looking around they might feel inferior or superior to someone else like you might have the cool asians that might feel equally as superior as the plastics, but they are definitely inferior to let's say another group there. And so when I watch this movie, I think, yeah, I really think that there's a big brush being painted that in some way we're all mean girls. We're all capable of acting on that sense of I'm better than you because it's just it's in our selfish nature to be that way and i like the fact that it allows us to be able to kind of unpack that as the movie goes on to realize that it's not just these three girls who wear pink on wednesday and eat calcium bars by mistake you know it's about other people Uh, why that is i think is a longer discussion i don't want to necessarily have that right now but i think it's a very interesting concept to be able to kind of subtly get that idea in front of us as the as the movie plays out
1: yep I agree I I think so too I mean I definitely think that it's not about those three girls and if it was it would be a surface level movie that people would not remember so fondly and wouldn't love as much because the humor's fine it's it's good it's it's funny quite funny at times but the fact that it has more of a meaning like that is what makes movies like this stick And it definitely does. And it shows that it's not just about this one specific group of mean people who treated someone poorly. It's about going through this experience, starting with that thought, and then allowing through the journey to make the audience realize it and go, oh, maybe I was a mean girl. Mm -hmm. Oops, my bad. Like, I maybe did that to someone else as well. That's why... I love the character. I think Tina Fey is great in this and yeah, she's she important is. because she's as you put in our notes, she's the voice of reason. And I love the scene. First of all, the principal's hilarious. And <laughs> when he says I did not leave the South Side for this with that bat and hits the sprinklers, it just cracked me up. Um but then, you know, when he's in there, he starts to talk and realizes like, okay, this is a group full of junior girls and I'm not going to be able to do this. And he has Miss Norbury get up and she does that exercise with them, which I thought was brilliant that close your eyes and raise your hands yeah and then she has them like write apologies sort of anonymously and do these trust falls which i also thought was a really cool thing and what i where i find the writing to be fantastic is in these moments because there's actual depth to what is happening and it's also really funny you know when um i think it's janice who is going off and she like has this big long monologue right before a trust fall. That's pretty hilarious. Right. But in the way that those scenes play out, it may, that's how you actually affect change in people. And it's not going to be instantaneous where everybody is suddenly goes from being a devil to an angel. It's planting those seeds in people's mind of, Hey, you need to think about somebody else. And then the next time, these girls go to act a certain way, you hope that they'll remember these series of events and they will choose differently, maybe act differently, say something differently. And we get to see that, of course, play out over the ending of the movie, which is sweet and gives it its nice little bow on top, which we like. So I I really do enjoy that portion. I also like that Mrs. Norberry doesn't forgive Katie instantaneously. She's not like just over it and I think, in a lot of movies, that's what would happen, but instead we get realism here. Mrs. Norberry is an actual person. she can have her feelings hurt. she can be a good teacher, be a respectful teacher, and not still be able to get past it because she harbors this pain that this student has caused to her uh and but yet be willing and open and be approachable to forgiving her if Katie decides that's what she wants to. Pursue. And so I really do think that that storyline holds the movie together for me in a big way, because otherwise I do think I might like get lost in the fluffiness of it all. Yeah. But I really appreciate that about it.
0: Yeah. If a connecting point were attached to a character, Ms. Norwood would be that for me, because for sure she's the voice of reason, but she's not the problem solver. She leaves it open for the girls to, for better or for worse, make their own choices, including Katie. She's also someone from the very beginning who is vulnerable, but strong. And I look at her from the beginning where she has the coffee or something spilling spill on her shirt. She's lifting it up, take it off. And the principal walks in. He's like, Ms. Norberry," And she goes, my shirt's up over my bra, right? And like, yeah. But she handles it with poise. And she acknowledges it. In fact, at the very end when he's trying to basically ask her out she says how about we do this when my shirt isn't see-through that kind of thing so Tina Fey I think carries this persona of almost as if she's lived high school and she's looking back knowing all this stuff that's happened and she's kind of grown up literally and metaphorically speaking she understands it and it affects her but doesn't bother her and I don't know if that makes sense in that She seems to be able to recognize, yeah, my feelings were hurt and I'm not going to forgive you easily, but I'm also not being wrecked by what you did to me either. It's almost as if she, even when she talks about her divorce, she talks about it so nonchalantly, but I felt like when I listened to her talk, she still was affected by it. You know, she talks about how the only guy that calls me these guys is my guy from Chase, you know, because I've maxed out my credit cards. So you know that she's got problems. You know that she's not necessarily like happy, has everything together. But as a teacher, as an educator, as an adult, this is what I love about high school movies who have teachers who aren't goofs necessarily. Like everybody else in the school is affected by regina george in that moment when she's asking people to raise their hands who's been made fun of or who's been ridiculed by regina george even the teachers behind her raise their hand, including the principal by the way i don't know if she has or not i don't know if she raises her hand but she seems to have this layer of ability to kind of bounce that stuff off of her she's not invulnerable but I don't know. She just comes across as someone who feels very stable. I guess that's the word I'm trying to get to is she's a very stable character. And I think because of that, the things that she says, the way she says them, the way in which she interacts with Katie and the girls and doing the trust falls and stuff feels more believable. It could play more humorously if you had some goofy teacher that you're not taking seriously try to do this stuff. And the teacher could become the punchline. This isn't the case, but she's also – not the problem solver she's the facilitator and i think it makes her more believable as a teacher because that's what teachers should be they should be facilitators offering advice but in the end letting you make those choices and when she says i'm really disappointed in you katie that line is so common but in that moment i felt like she was i felt like wow she had this integrity attached to katie and that's lost because she knew she knew the truth about katie and she didn't confess
1: yeah, no, I, I'm with you. It's, it's pretty crushing as far as that line goes, in my opinion too, cause you, you feel it and you feel that someone, maybe, maybe you only feel it as an adult. Maybe that's part of the thing. It's like now we have a, do- a lot of different context and a lot of different history behind us. And so now we can relate to the Norwood character in a way that, you know, we never did when we were Katie, when we were in high school. And we can realize that maybe when that teacher said that to us, there was a lot more going on in that person's life than we ever knew. Or we could ever imagine to know. Um, I gotta, there's only one more thing I have for Connected Point, but it's funny. So there's a quote in here and I don't really like it because it's a, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it's also very generic, but Katie's talking and she says, calling somebody else fat won't make you any skinnier. Calling someone stupid won't make you any smarter and ruining Regina's life definitely didn't make me any happier. Very generic, blah, 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 whatever stuff. She ends that by saying, all you can do in life is try to solve the problem in front of you. Now, hilariously, this makes no sense in context with the rest of the statement, in my opinion. But it is exactly the theme of the movie we are covering directly after this one. And I thought that was hilarious. Because The Martian is
0: all about solving the problem right in front of you. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, I've got one thing just real quick, too. I wanted to mention that bow that got wrapped up. I like that it's a little bit slightly ambiguous in that the expectation is that maybe for some, Regina and Katie are friends. But there's a shot that I absolutely love when it's senior year, Katie's hanging out with aaron you know they're laughing on the lawn with their friends and then you see regina who is very much less plasticky she's wearing you know i guess what i call standard high school clothes nothing like glamorous she looks at katie and she kind of nods at her with a slight grin and it's almost as if they're like okay we have a mutual understanding i don't think they hang out i don't think they run in the same circles i still think that they have their cliques they have their groups But I think that the movie is giving us that mutual understanding that they have and saying, you know what, we may not agree on everything. We may not have the same kind of worldview, but we can live in this space. We can share the watering hole without getting crazy, right? And I thought that was a really fantastic way to end the movie. Plus, I have a heart for Halcyon On and On, that song that plays at the very end. I love that song. It's been a favorite of mine since... I think I first heard it in Hackers, actually. And it's just a really great way to end the movie. Yeah, the whole
1: soundtrack's great. And, yeah. I, and this is something that is always important to me. If a high school movie doesn't have a good soundtrack, I mean, it's a fail, period. Like, that is a critical component of this genre. And this one has a really good soundtrack as well.
0: All right, connecting point time. Aaron, do you want to go first or you want me to? Sure, I'll go first. Okay. This is not something that is super emotional
1: for me in this movie. I mean, it has a, it's a, com- a comedy. So, I mean, we're not expecting that. But what I did feel something about was when Katie wins Spring Fling Queen. And it may not necessarily be for all the reasons that you might assume, but it's actually a really kind of goofy speech and moment if you think about it. But she gives this speech. She gets up and of course she's not expecting to win and she doesn't even expect to be, you know, in the conversation and yet. She's there, and Regina's upset, and yada, yada, and it's very it's very by the book. It's very formulaic at this point. She gets out, she says, well, half the people in the room are mad at me, and the other half are only like me because they think I pushed somebody in front of a bus, so that's not good, which also is hilarious because, honestly, I walked away from this not being totally convinced that she didn't push Regina in front of the bus. I think it's ambiguous, and I like that. But then Mr. Duval says, you know, it's not really required for you to make a speech, She says, I'm almost done, I swear, to all the people whose feelings that got hurt by the burn book, I'm really sorry. You know, I've never been to one of these things before, and when I think about how many people wanted this, and how many people cried over it, I mean, I think everybody looks like royalty, and she goes on to compliment everyone. And then she ultimately wants to share it, right? Which is this great sentiment, and it's different. It's there's a multiple levels of subversion here that I enjoy more than the emotional aspect of her doing the thing because I don't care about the characters that much, to be honest with you. But after watching so many high school movies, I just like the subversion of instead of us getting the very typical moment where whoever wins the crown ends up giving the crown to one other person because they feel like that's the other person that should have won. 99 out of a hundred movies she gets up and she gives the crown to Regina and Regina with her big headgear on puts the crown on and we walk away going oh they're friends like you said they're not necessarily friends and that's fine instead she shares it and she breaks it into pieces and she gives pieces to all these different people who it's meaningful for and it makes something that, is by nature and by its existence incredibly divisive because it puts someone else on a pedestal and it makes everybody equals because they're all getting an equal piece. And I really like that subversion. And I also really like the subversion that Duval interrupts her again while she's trying to give the pieces out and says, Seriously, most people just take the crown and go. And I think that's awesome, Patrick, because again, We've watched this formula so many times and he is saying what the audience feels. The audience is always, it's always about like, why would you do this? In reality, why would you stand up here and give this big speech? Patrick, have you ever been to a high school dance? This is not what happens. People don't, high school girls don't get up and give these big, long, incredible, heartwarming speeches at high school dances. This is not reality. This is a fantasy world of high school in this movie And they're calling that out while simultaneously doing something with it that's different and actually makes you kind of go, ah, and that's really sweet. And I just think that's pretty freaking cool. And, you know, kudos to the writers. And so it's something that stuck out to me and and probably partially because it happens at the end of the movie. So I'm left with that. But I really liked how it wrapped up.
0: I think one of the things about that scene that stuck out to me was the fact that she's very specific when she starts talking to the individuals Like there's two people in the audience that she compliments the dress, compliments the hair of another girl. Even when she starts talking to Janice and Regina, she's very specific to them about what makes them great or what makes them good. And that's something that is seemingly missed in the world of high school because we're all just kind of one of us, one of us. We lose that individualism and we sacrifice individualism for the sake of being part of a group. So that's really interesting too. It's another thing that's very fantastical. In high school, you're not an individual, or at least not by choice necessarily. I mean, obviously, there are people that kind of march to the beat of their own drum. But for the most part, as we discussed before, you're part of some group in some capacity. And for her to be able to call individuals out and specifically pay them compliments, I think is a big deal. And I think it's very much intentional from the writers to say it's not just, hey, you get a piece and you get a piece a la, you know, Oprah. It's about, here, you deserve it. You're pretty. Your hair looks great. I love your dress. And not being satirical, not being like, yeah, as if. I bet she got that skirt from Sears or something like that. No, it's very much a genuine compliment. And I think that had she not done that, a little bit of it would have gotten lost because she gave individualism to these people to these individuals and they relish that for a moment you know even you know even Damien and Janice they got their own moment with her I like that that got wrapped up because Janice and Damien one of my favorite scenes with them and her is when they're in conflict after the party when they find out that she didn't go to Madison she ended up throwing her own party and Janice throws this canvas at her that won a prize and it's the three of them and if you look it's Katie with her ponytail, plain Katie. And I thought that was really cool too. So just little things like that, individualizing these people. And even among the the factions, it's really cool. My connecting point had nothing to do with that. And it was for entirely different reasons, but (laughs) it, (laughs) it's the third tribal moment of the movie that was actually quote real. And it's the big, fight what i call the burn book riot in the hallway it's after regina has essentially printed out all the pages from the from the burn book and start stuffing them everywhere and then people start finding these things like oh my gosh and by the way aaron i thought it was brilliant i'd forgotten that she did this where she's so mad at katie when she cuts up the picture i thought oh yeah she's gonna put katie's picture no she's not That's a smart girl. Yeah, I've seen
1: that before. And I was like,
0: oh, because I,
1: you know, wasn't expecting that. I love that moment. I mean,
0: she is, she is deceptive. What stood out to me and why this is my connecting point is not just that I've seen similar riots break out in the halls of high school where you have two people fighting and it turns into a fight, fight, fight. But the fact that we'd seen those two other fantasy moments of the tribal mentality at the mall and then in the cafeteria. And now we're seeing what looks very similar. These individuals that are quite literally throwing each other down the stairs, fighting with one another with people they don't even talk to, but are just having this point of reference on a piece of paper. And to me, it reminds me of the fact that doing something that you think doesn't hurt people. This sounds so cliché and so much like a after school special, but the fact that it took this small book, this little misinformation to trigger one person to attack somebody else, to attack somebody else. And what that showed me is it wasn't just a one group of people that were going after. You. It wasn't like the bloods and the cribs or the greasers and the socias. It was all these different cliques of people that were finding issues with each other. So it didn't even matter that you had cool Asians fighting with jocks. It wasn't about them being jocks. It was about the fact that, oh, somebody said this, it must have been you or it must have been you. And I almost want to believe that there was so much anger and so much angst filled up in that hallway. People were just attacking each other because they were frustrated in general. They'll go after anybody. They. It's almost like you see in those movies where – Somebody starts a food fight by throwing something at their friend, and that friend misses, and it hits the guy behind him, and then it just starts this chain reaction. Seeing that scene play out, in addition to being somewhat realistic, also shows the fact that you have this one lie that can lead to so many other things, and it's all coming from an untruth, from a rumor, from one thing. In fact, it's played for last, but that first person that says, I made out with a hot dog only once. So yeah, it's funny, but the truth of the matter is it was one time it was caught on camera or it was seen. And now this person is branded with this identity and it was entertaining and very sobering to see how that little thing could trigger such a big reaction To the point where the principal is wanting to go back to the ghetto, essentially, because this is just too crazy. And the fact that it's all girls, too. I mean, this is really amping up the whole idea that men in this movie are really not big players in this, unless they're Aaron Samuels, right? So I think that this is one of the high points of the movie where we see that tribalism and all this stuff that really fuels the culture of high school— when it's messed with, when it's poked and prodded, man, it, it can erupt. It's a it's a crazy thing. So, yeah, that was my connecting point. Well, that wraps up this episode of Feeling Film. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, glad that our donors picked this one. And if you're one of our faithful donors, you should see in our bonus content feed where we talk about our Mount Rushmore of Fast and Furious cars. We've just covered the most of the franchise. We're caught up. We have the whole franchise thus far in our belt of past episodes you can go back and listen to those if you want and um, if you're not a patron and you want to have access to that bonus content check out patreon.com slash feel and film for more information coming up next we show some love to matt damon with the next two week entries with the martian as you mentioned earlier and we're following that up with goodwill hunting so you'll want to stay tuned for all that aaron thanks for another great conversation my friend we'll talk soon
1: hey everyone thanks again for listening very active in both places and would love to chat
0: and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you
1: once again thank you for listening we'll be back soon until then stay positive
0: and keep feeling filmed